I really feel like, uh, welcome to church, by the way. I really feel like, uh, welcome online too. I feel like it's, it's somebody's day to come home to the family of God. Some of you left, some of you have just never been before. You can feel the Holy Spirit of God here. I mean, what are you still holding your defenses up for? <laughs> He'll break them down with his love and his kindness. Just give him enough time. But I think if the sooner that we stop fighting the kindness and the inevitability of bowing our knee to the Lord, our God, I think that the, the easier it is on you. <laughs> Thank you, God, that you invite us into your family, this place that we come and we don't really have anything to offer. Just another sinful body and another sinful mind and another sinful heart. But you somehow, just because you're good, you want to save us and adopt us. And we take solace in that and find safety in your heart. You see a diamond in the rough and in the lives of the people who are here. But you don't save us because you need us. <laughs> you save us because you are good. And we thank you for your goodness and your kindness that leads to repentance, for your power that saves us, for your light that shines in our dark hearts, Lord God, for your mind and your heart and your thoughts towards us. We love you. It's funny how worship centers you and, and focuses you on the obligations that you should have. You come bearing many obligations that fight and war for your heart and your mind and your energy and your attention. You come warring with many obligations. There are obligations to your flesh. There are obligations to other people. God has a plan for your life and so do a lot of other people. But worship, what it does is it takes out those other words and the other noise and it puts in the noise of worship and, and the obligation to the God who saves us and who loves us and who cares about us and who is kind, who can be trusted in every, everything. And it reminds us of our obligations to God and it reminds us of our obligations to each other because those are good obligations to have. It's good that I'm obligated to work so that my family can eat. Little girls' dresses aren't free. Although if you know Pastor Aaron, they're almost free. She's what we call frugal. Anybody married to a budgeter? <laughs> well, whatever. I got one. This obligation to the house of God, this obligation to God and his house. Sometimes you, you've been burned by wrong obligations in the past. And so then the devil just tells you, like, don't be obligated to anything anymore. But that's just as bad as being obligated to the wrong things because you'll just be obligated to yourself. Have you ever been uh, had the wrong sense of obligation to the wrong types of people, though? I wonder if you have. You'll have to, to replace that sense of obligation. See, idols were not meant to just be done away with. Idols were meant to be replaced. And when you replace an idol with what you should have been worshiping the whole time and sacrificing to and giving your time and intention and love to and your focus to, when you replace the idol that has taken God's place in your heart in any area of your life with God, that's when it matters. But you are meant to worship. You, you are meant to give and to serve another. Just make sure that you're serving the right, the right thing with your life. Have you ever had a, a, somebody in your life who was a, a, a bad, you, you had a bad obligation to follow them? Somebody who maybe misled you. Thank you, Pastor Lisa. How are you doing? <laughs> if you're joining us online, if, if you're here, I see that you're not camping this weekend. We have some, it's the summertime, so I'm glad people can get away. Although camping with little children, if you're watching us online, I don't know if that's a blessing or a curse. Um, I'm not a camper. I'm not a tenter. 
I'm a glamper. I always ask, how's the TV reception out there? That's my kind of camping trip. Um, my brother had, a, had a, a sense of obligation to me because I was the older one and supposedly the more responsible one because I was older. And I remember one time, one time my brother, um, we were in Los Angeles. We used to live in Pasadena, California, and, and we had a, a sprinkler system set up there. And so I had this idea that was not given to me by the Holy Spirit, but it, it was an idea. And I had this idea that, that, that I could turn the sprinkler on from the front porch in the relative safety of the front porch, and I would send my brother out there right on the edge of the sprinkler overlooking the street to direct the sprinkler to cars passing by. And so that it was a high-risk job for him, I'm not going to lie, because he was out there exposed, a skinny little kid, you know, skinny little white kid in L.A., shooting people's uh, vehicles with the sprinkler going by. And I would stand back here and, and crack open that sprinkler. And if we timed it just right, it was pretty spectacular. But um, sometimes when you're obligated to the wrong types of people who lack the wisdom in how to perform a prank, one time we caught a guy, it was our last time, um, we caught a guy driving a very nice convertible by, and we caught it just right, just boom. <laughs> you know how boys are really stupid? Right. So then, then we see the brake lights just hammer on, and he screeches to a halt. Well, we hadn't yet fathomed what would happen or what we would do, what our response would be if we followed my sense of obligation and did the wrong thing and went down the wrong path in life. And we never questioned, like, what would you do then? And so we just panicked, and because I was already had a head start to get into the house, I ran right through the house, into the backyard, and up the orange tree in the backyard, relative safely. Ryan followed me one millisecond later into his room and under the bed. Now, this wouldn't have been so bad, but mom and dad were having a Bible study at the time, at the time and then they heard a knock on the door. And if you've raised a boy named Corey, it's a familiar feeling like, oh boy. <laughs> Ma'am, I don't know if you know this, but your boys are out hitting cars with sprinklers on the way by. And that wasn't the first time we came back to Canada. And I remember we would have water balloon things that we would do the same thing. But we're throwing water balloons in front of our own houses. So we would run away, and then one of the neighbors would stay behind who was slower and rat us all out. Oh, yeah, I know these guys. They live right here. <laughs> JB, man, run for it like we're running for it. But he stayed behind and rats us out. I had a friend. We talked each other into, uh, this series is about Nehemiah, um, when God sends his messenger to you. But sometimes um, the devil's been sending different messengers to you, and you've been listening to the wrong people. And Jer Jeremy and I, were, we were the wrong people for each other. And we, we, one time we were riding our bikes down the street and he tossed a fully loaded water balloon into a lady's car on the way by. We had an escape plan because we had bikes, so that was a lot smarter. None of these stories made it back to mom and dad in time that they could discipline and murder us, which was probably good, except for that first story. That was definitely a thing. The sense of wrong obligation. Now, I think that with this social experiment that you and I have been in, in this whole pandemic thing and our response to it, but also our response to it as a people, 
have showed us that there were some snares that the devil laid for your soul in all of this here. You just tell me what you think here. The, the Proverbs 29 says this, the fear of human opinion disables. You remember that thing where it was like, if you leave your house, you're guilty of a hate crime <laughs> because you're going to get somebody sick with COVID, right? As if walking out the door of your house <laughs> has anything to do with hate. You know what I mean? Like, but it was this like public pressure and this peer pressure. And I'm not saying this or that. I'm not making any statements about anything. I'm just saying though, that, that the fear of human opinion disables. I remember walking with my wife and daughters just because we had more than the average family has for kids. People are looking at us out of their windows and like hating on us. And I'm like, we all live in the same home. We use the same thing. Like the fear of human opinion. Has there ever been a person who sat inside of your mind that you've tried to answer to forever? It can be somebody's parent who's no longer with us anymore. It can be a past relationship in your life where you're just, they sit in your mind and they judge you and you feel like you have to answer to them. This is the fear of human opinion. It disables. We know that. Second Corinthians, Paul says to the Corinthian church, it is true that we live in this world. Remember, you're supposed to be in this world, but not of it. But this is what will make you of it. It says, we live in this world as humans, but we do not use our human ideas to fight against what is wrong. <laughs> We see many wrongs in the world, this, the racial in, in, injustice and inequality right now, but be careful that you don't use your human opinions and ideas to right the wrongs of the world, because what it will do is it will remove a false idol and put up another one in its place. And so, yeah, it says, the Bible says, beware that you do not use your human ideas to fight against what is wrong. So, so what, what do we do then? And, and how do we fight the injustice of the world? How do you fight the injustice in your home? How do you fight your temptations and your fears? How do you fight these things? It says that, that the fear of human opinion brings a snare with it. That's what another translation says. Now, you come into church with a blueprint, and you're, you're following the blueprint and getting the results that you're getting from the blueprint that you come in with. And I love worship because worship, God is just like, that's a cute blueprint, but yikes. <laughs> Did your four-year-old child ever draw you? And you're like, oh, that's a beautiful dinosaur. And they're like, it's a rock. That's, that's what your human plan for your life is kind of like. It's a nice dinosaur rock. And, uh, and God's like, that's a great blueprint. You're getting the results that the blueprint shows you, but they're not the results that you want. And, and worship is like, here, why don't you let me give you a blueprint for your life that can actually build something that I want you to build and that you could, and that will fulfill you. And I'm preaching a series next, a mini-series called The Blueprint. Now, if you come into church, this is all, like, new to you, and you've never been to church before, or you grew up in church, like, uh, 100 years ago, and it looked a lot different. Um, you come into church, but you don't really have a blueprint for, like, what is the family of God? How is it supposed to function? Because your family taught you how to function, but it's not how the family of God likely is supposed to function. And how does a healthy family even function? Uh, you don't know what healthy is. You just know what you know. And then you come in, or you come in from a different church culture, and you're like, things are different here. And so the blueprint, the sermon series, is going to really be about, like, that blueprint that you're living off of right now built that thing, and that's great. You know, people come in here, and they're like, oh, wow, this is different from the, the last church I was in. And I'm like, we love them, too. But see, they're working on a blueprint that God gave them to get the results that they were getting, which is what God probably wanted them to do. I don't know, but I don't go there. But here's the venue blueprint, and here's what God showed us to build. And they're going to excel at building what they're supposed to build. And we're going to, by God's grace, excel at this thing.
but you'll find out that the materials are a little bit different, the timing is different, even how the building is supposed to look and feel is a little bit different. One of the, re- one of the things that we build Venue Church around is this idea, I want you to feel emotional about God. There is so much indifference. We are plagued with indifference in this, like, silent, I'm just not going to commit. Right? I'm just going to keep my options open. I want you to not keep your options open. I want you to pick the best one. And the best option for your life is Jesus Christ. In fact, it is the only option. One day your knee will bow to heaven. But if you come in on the family of God, that's your best option. So close the other doors and come in and live one life that God wants you to live. But there's a blueprint that he'll want you to follow. Now... You, you, in this sermon series, we've been talking that God sends you a messenger that'll help build a wall around your life. And God could give you the message himself, but very often he sends you a messenger. And if you, if you open the door to the messenger and receive the messenger that God gives you, or the Nehemiah that God gives you, then you get the message and the wall gets built around your life. And you live a healthy and happy life. Now these representatives that God sends you represent him. But there are other representatives that you and I have followed. Let's call them false Nehemiahs in our life. Other representatives that are speaking other words to us to get us a different result, a different blueprint. And what Nehemiah, when God sends you the proper Nehemiahs in your life, and, and nobody is their own Nehemiah. We've talked about this. You are not your own shepherd. You are a sheep to somebody. So quit acting like the shepherd, you know. I'm not my own Nehemiah. I have my Nehemiahs in my life who God just sends at the right time with the right word. And all of a sudden, oh, and then things start working again, you know. And then the wall gets built and and my people have safety. Our church has safety because of the Nehemiahs that I have in my life. And I've learned to revere them as I revere Christ because Christ sent them. And when you understand that, you, but first what we have to do is we have to replace some of the old Nehemiahs that we used to follow. So let's talk about that. We've been talking about um, human opinion. Human opinion brings a snare. Well, yeah, you're like, okay, that makes sense. I followed people with opinions that, that were a snare to my life that disabled me. What about your own opinion? Because for many of us, we're our own Nehemiah. Our own mind is our own Nehemiah. And we have not yet learned to, here's what I say to people, anybody here with a strong mind? Yeah, come on, just raise your hand, it's fine. We already know you're proud. All the heart people are like, oh, they're so proud. I'm, I'm going to get to you heart people in just a minute, just give me a minute. Because you all think that I don't know, but I do. I live with a heart person. I love it. Mind people. You trust your own mind. Your own mind can be your Nehemiah. You've got to be careful when your own mind is filtering things because just answer this mind, mind, mind people, strong mind people. I'm a very logical person. Yeah, when you want something, you're very logical in how you get it, right? Did you know that your mind was there? Every sin that you ever committed and every really stupid thing, every water balloon that you threw, your brain was there. In full agreement. It talked you into it. And you and I, we don't even distrust our own minds yet. We still think that the next time around, it's going to be right. When the last hundred times weren't, the older you get, man, the more patterns. You just follow the same pattern in your marriage fight. It's going to be the same as it was last hundred times. But your mind keeps telling you and keeps trying to be your own Nehemiah. Keeps trying to be the messenger from God when God's like, I sent you this other messenger that you don't control. It's good that you don't control. Now, heart people, heart people. See, mind people, God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, little buddy. Your, your brain showed you how to draw the dinosaur rock. But God's like, but I made the dinosaurs and the rocks. Right? So, okay. My thoughts are not your thoughts. But, but, then, but then Jeremiah the prophet says to the heart people, 
the, the heart is deceitful above all things. Well, not the mind. Well, deceitful above your own heart. Did you know that your emotions led you into every sin that you ever committed? It felt right to you. Now, we live in a society where human heart and human mind, human thoughts and human emotions are now deciding what's moral. Be very careful that you do not go to the government to find out what's moral, because this government thinks that this is immoral, and this last government thought that, and then the next government. Is morality a thing that shifts and changes and moves? No, but human thought and opinion are. In fact, if your own morality is based on your own filter, you will be deciding moment by moment, depending on what you want, depending on what kind of place you're in, you'll be deciding your own morality, what's right and wrong for you, moment by moment by moment by moment. No wonder we're confused. No wonder that... And then it'll make promises to you, false Nehemiahs, your own brain, your own heart can make false promises to you that can't come true because it's the wrong blueprint. It will not build that kind of a building that God wants you to live in. And so you and I have to be very careful that we don't rise up as our own coffee filters. Because your coffee filter, I mean, there's cyanide in some of all y'all's coffee filter. No wonder the coffee doesn't taste good. It's this self-poisoning like cycle into death. Because you were in survival mode since you were a kid, but you never learned how to be healthy because you wouldn't listen to the messengers God sent you. But God sent you messengers in his house because he's like, let me clean that filter out. But here's the thing. You don't clean out your own filter. If you do, what will happen to you, happen to Adam and Eve, and has been happening to us ever since. You'll be deciding your own morality, your own thoughts, your own heart will be deciding. Now, then we run into, then you come into the house of God, and, and this might be your first time in the house of God. You come to the house of God, and you bump into this other thing over here. Where you're like, here are my thoughts, and here's everybody's thoughts, and everything is shifting and changing, and we're kind of getting what we want sometimes, and then we're trying to control it. And then we bump into God, who is like, he has his thoughts. And we come in thinking that, well, I come in with my emotions and my opinions. But see, God doesn't have opinions. Catch this. God has principles. And they never, ever shift. They never change. They never mature because they're already mature. In fact, God himself, good is defined by who he is. Truth is defined by who Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It is found here. And if you build your life on the rock, who is Christ, he does not have opinions that shift and change. Right is right. Wrong is wrong. It always has been. It always will be. Build your life on these things. This is how you get healthy. It'll always be how you get healthy. It will always bring happiness. Why? Because God, I'm not saying everything in your life is going to be happy because there's this place where Jesus is like, hey, pick up your cross and follow me. It's going to be hard, but one day you'll get heaven if you live according to the rock that is Christ. And so we run into, okay, the dangerous traps are my emotions and my heart. I have to deeply distrust myself because my heart is deceitful above all things. My mind was there every sin that I ever committed. But also what starts happening is that you and I start listening to the wrong types of people. See, there's the fleshly obligation that your flesh really wants you to feel obligated to. And all the devil has to do is burn you a few times in life before you'll try to not be obligated to anything. But that doesn't solve it. You have to be obligated to God and to the messengers that he sends you. There's good obligation. The only way that you replace the bad one is to replace it with a good one. And, and, but there's this, this other obligation, the sense of obligation that that maybe you grew up in a home where there was control and manipulation. 
where, you remember we talked about this a few weeks ago, where love was conditional, right? Or where acceptance was unconditional, which is just as dangerous. And you grew up in this sort of a thing, and you come in with this obligation, and then every time that you hear a preacher preach about something, you sit there, and for your own safety, you filter it. And you do what I used to do when I was a kid, and I would just be like listening to my, my dad was my preacher, and I had, I listened to my, I got to listen to my dad, I didn't have to, I got to. Pastor's kids, y'all need to go to church more. Pastor's kids are always at church. We have our own chairs. And so I remember listening to my pastor preach, and I remember thinking to myself, we'll see. Anybody? Fighting your own mind and your own heart, like, yeah, well, we'll see. I'll check that out. Yeah, but he was preaching right out of the word of God. What is there to check out? God is like, if you would just say yes and listen and obey, I could get you the fruit and we could see the house. And then maybe your heart and mind will follow. But what we say is, well, if I feel safe and my mind agrees, and if my heart feels safe, then I will. And God's like, I can't really work with that. Because by the time I convince your fleshly heart and your mind and the false Nehemiahs that you feel, right? This sense of obligation, have you ever felt a sense of obligation to a person who led you astray? Mind people, you can be talked into stuff by people with a sharper mind than you. And they can be even more wrong than you are. And you can still be talked into it because they're clever like that. Hard people, you're talked into anything from whoever's right in front of you, especially if they start crying. Man, you're, I love you, heart people, but you're just emotionally connected. My wife's a heart person. And then she'll come back and she'll tell me, like, and this is what they said. And I'm like, I don't think that that's true because I talked to the other side of the story. And the two stories are almost like they're happening in a different home. <laughs> Marriage counseling, everybody. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I don't feel like they're talking about the same thing at all. But it's this heart thing. It's this mind thing. When we're trying to be our own Nehemiahs, when we're trying to filter ourselves... Now, religion gets really scary with this. I'm just going to touch on this. I kind of hit it harder in, the, in the, the first time around this morning. But religion gets really, really scary is because after a month or a year or 10 years, you have to, every one of us crosses this line in a bad way. But what, at first you come into religion and you're like, oh, this is how I'm saved? Oh, okay, I repent. Okay, yes, no, I'm definitely a sinner. Like, no question there. My sins are, yes, they're definitely leading me to eternal separation from you, God. Like, yeah, obviously. And then we're like, okay, so I need to confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus. Okay, Jesus needs to be Lord. His death, and res his death paid for my sin and his resurrection, I can be raised in that. That's, that's all that I want. Yes, yes. But then give it a month or give it a year. And what soon starts happening is that God's thoughts... Um, they start getting a little bit separated here, and then, then it's not like I'm coming in and I'm like, yes, God, tell me what you think and what you feel. I'm going to adopt those as my, as my life pattern, right? And then eventually what happens is, is it's not just God's thoughts. It's my thoughts on God's thoughts. And religion starts getting weird and twisted and man-made. And then it's not just God's feels. It's my feels on God's feels. And then we're like, oh, let me interpret the scripture through my mind and through my, my heart. And God's like, the scripture does not need your interpretation in your life. It needs to be interpreted for you. And, and when this happens, and he's like, let me interpret it. And let me interpret it by the messengers that I send you so that you know how to apply it properly. But then we start getting into this thing where we start picking and choosing. Well, I agree with this part of the Bible, but not that part. Surely society has moved on. Right, because God didn't know how he created you and what would make you happy. 
You know, when, the, when, God, when God is like, hey, don't lie, what he's trying to do is get you from hurting, stop you from hurting yourself and hurting the people around you. If you try to function according to how you're not designed to function, you will always be unhappy. And then you look at the scripture and be like, well, it doesn't mean that anymore, you know? Well, there are some things that were definitely cultural in, in scripture, uh, women wearing things in their heads and things like that. That was, that was strictly cultural, but the, the principle was the same. See, God is made up of principles and not opinions. The principle of honor was still the same. Women don't speak in the churches. Well, that didn't mean like women shouldn't speak in the, you know, Renee, get off the worship team, quit speaking in church. No, what, that was spoken into a culture that was extremely dishonoring, where they would just come in and instead of listening to the word of God, all the women would be chattering because the religion was run by. And what they were saying was like, no, 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 girls, respectfully listen to the word of God being preached like everybody else does, Right? And when we start saying like, oh, okay, it's not all culture. There's actual morality. There's actual God's ways. There's, and when God sends you in Nehemiah, he'll, he'll show you how to execute and listen and obey God's word. Did that hurt your feelings, girls? No. Because in other places, it's like, man, oh my goodness, you guys are a bunch of lazy cretins. Well, he was talking into a particular culture. And then, then the apostle says, and it's actually true, those accusations. Like, oh my goodness, guys, smarten up. Paul's like, my daughters wouldn't date you if you had daughters. That's a whole different conversation. You can't get me into that right now. I have four daughters. But what, what happens is if you don't have a Nehemiah in your life or a right Nehemiah, you might already be down this path of man-made religion in your life. But Nehemiah, when God sends you Nehemiah, he will shift it back to the ways of God. He will shift back your attention to the ways of God. He'll be like, no, no, no. Those are your thoughts mixed in with God's thoughts. Oh, I could go off on that, but that's all that I want to say about that. Now, now, Nehemiah has the unenviable job of dealing with false Nehemiahs. And the only way to deal with false Nehemiahs in your life or that sense of expectation that some of you wake up with every single morning because you had a controlling parent or, or sibling, or, or, and, and you have to be very careful here because, because when, when the real Nehemiah shows up, it'll feel the same to you because they want you to do something. But see, the real Nehemiah wants you to do something to honor God and because it benefits you. And a false Nehemiah wants you to, to do something so, because it honors them and benefits them. But a true Nehemiah will be like, no, no, do this for you. See, my, my dad was like my Nehemiah in my home, you know? And he's just like, son, do this, man. Give to the house of God. God will always give it back to you. I can sacrifice to somebody like that, you know, in the way that he would prescribe because he was God's messenger to me that always benefited me. And I'm like, oh, that's easy. I can sacrifice. But if you've had a false expectation to a false Nehemiah, you're going to have to climb this little mountain called like, I don't like being controlled. Therefore, I'm going to control it myself. And God's like, no, 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 actually, you don't even like that kind of control. You're not, you're not good with it. Just give it up and let me interpret it for you so that you can live the life that a free child of God does in the house of God. And that's the life that you want to live. Now, watch what Nehemiah has to deal with. Sanballat, do you remember Sanballat? He's the villain. Everybody go, boo, right? He's the bad guy. Now, Sanballat is that, is that crazy person in your life who wants to control you, wants Nehemiah in another place says, like, you don't have any inheritance here. What, what, why are the people of Israel listening to you? But we do that sometimes because they have a nicer boat than we have. Or a nicer car. And you're like, I want that. You know, and then you start kind of subtly being controlled by the expectations of people that isn't really pleasing to God. And it says, he flew into a rage when he saw that, that you were actually doing the right thing in your life. Now, some of all y'all, your friends, you'll notice that when you come to Christ or you start moving forward in your faith, some of your old friends whom you trusted in, they'll be like, they don't like that, even though your life is getting healthier and happier. They won't really like that. Why? Because it's a confrontation to their unhealthy state. And 
They want you to keep seeking happiness where they are seeking it, but they're not finding it. It says he flew into a rage and mocked the Jews in front of his friends and the Samaritan army officers. Now, they'll do this in public because public opinion is very powerful. He says, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think that they're doing? And in fact, they'll actually make fun of you for not joining in them with them. And it'll start becoming a thing that degrades your soul. But when Nehemiah comes, they'll ask you to do something that's hard but clean. And when you do it, you'll just be, it's like doing push-ups. You'll feel good after. You'll just be like, right, good. I got to stop doing this and I got to start doing this. Good, good. I, I feel good about that. Yeah. And he says, do they think they can build a wall on a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Let's start making fun of people who are actually attempting to better themselves. He says, do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? They're like, they'll remind you of like, yeah, but you're going to mess this up just like you messed the last thing up. But God's like, you don't have to anymore. If you're tired of the pain and the suffering of sin, well, why don't we just stop doing that? And why don't we have somebody who show you a different way? But why don't you have somebody in your small group show you a different way to live? Yeah, well, and then Tobiah the Ammonite, everybody's got a Tobiah in their lives. <laughs> Not a great guy. He was always, remember the story that I told about my best friend Toby and the fight that we got in? Yeah, Tobias. I'm just kidding. We were still friends after we got in a fight because guys are great. He was standing beside me, he remarked that stone wall would collapse if even a, a fox walked on top of it. Now, you can tell when somebody has a critical spirit. Now, somebody here has, has been, you've been answering to somebody with a critical spirit for too long. Now, somebody with a critical spirit is not the same thing as somebody who thinks critically. But people with a critical spirit always say that they think critically. Now, thinking critically is what Nehemiahs do. They're like, well, that thing doesn't work in your life. Well, why don't you walk me through a marriage argument? Why don't you walk me through a tech, you know, your parenting technique when your four-year-old throws a fit in the middle of the grocery store? And Nehemiah can be like, well, yeah, but it's not working, right? So you know what? I think that you should try this thing. You try it. You're like, yeah, you take it back and you tweak it. And the spirit of God somehow comes. And all of a sudden, your child starts getting better. Isn't that the point? The marriage starts getting better. Isn't that the point? And so what happens is uh, when, when, when you have the critical, because the, the Holy Spirit of God thinks critically too. The Holy Spirit of God is looking at your relationship and like, I can fix that. And then he'll send a messenger to help you fix it. But as soon as a person starts getting a critical spirit, because a critical spirit comes from the enemy, that critical spirit starts like just degrading. And, and I know that as soon as somebody, I can, I can tell when I talk to people most of the time, that when, they, when, they, when they, they themselves stop building, and they start tearing down what you're building. That's not the kind of person that you want to be answering to in your heart or your mind. You don't want to be thinking about that person forever and like, I wonder if they're impressed with my life. Yeah, well, they're not building anything that matters. Who cares what they think? Nehemiah is there to build. No, let's fix the problem so that we can build, so that we can build a wall around your family. Um, now we're going to talk in Nehemiah 6 as it moves into what Sanballat and, and these guys decide to do next. The next thing that, that we see here is a spirit of gossip trying to get in to make you subject to the wrong types of Nehemiah. Because it starts becoming a peer pressure thing. Now, you got to be careful with, with, uh, with gossip. Gossip is simply having conversations about what you're not allowed to have conversations about. And you're like, yeah, well, I have a valid opinion. We already covered that, I think. <laughs> yeah, but you might not have the right to boss around your sister's kids. That's called gossip. Yeah, say amen. All right, good. I think that's good. Uh, gossip is like... 
It's like getting into a free concert with no cover charge, but then you found out that it was country and western. <laughs> or if, if you didn't like that, it's like eating a poison ice cream sandwich. It'll just make you sick. It tastes great, but it makes you sick. You get in and you're like, country, oh no. There's so much more I could say about that. Nehemiah chapter 6, because this is what's going to have to happen. Nehemiah, the messenger God sends you, will confront the false Nehemiahs that you've been following. Now, you've been trying to confront these for years, but you won't be able to because God didn't give you the gift to do that. But Nehemiah will actually has the gift to confront those false things in your life. They'll be like, why are you listening to that person? Have you not seen their teenagers? Why would you do what they did? They have a result that you don't want. Come on, ladies. Why would you hang out with that group of women? None of them are happy in their marriages. Why don't you listen to this other gal who says uh, very alarming things like, you have a terrible attitude today. Is that how you are at home? Woo. <laughs> Nehemiah. Somebody gave you a Nehemiah in your small group. Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that I had uh, finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained. I love that. No gaps remained. We got no weak spots anymore. Why? Because they're in a family and we built the wall in front of our house and it protects you too. Though we had not yet set up the doors and the gates. And so it says, so Sanballat and Geshem sent a message asking me, now watch what happens to your Nehemiah. This is what demands respect from you. They asked me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. You know, it's a setup. Man, this was not written in the English language, right? So Ono was not English, but this is God's like little gift to you all. He's like, oh no. Like, come on. You know, it's not good. Do you want to go for a hike on Murder Mountain today? No. I don't not want to fly with safety last airlines. No. I don't want to sim swim in Piranha River. No. See, you're, you're, you're still going to try to engage with the false ones, but why don't you let your Nehemiah engage with them, right? Because they have a gift from God. And um, it says, I realized they were plotting to harm me, Nehemiah says. So I replied by sending this, messenger, this message to them. I'm engaged. Now, this needs to be your response. I'm engaged in a great work. I can't meet with you. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? That's a powerful thing. When you deny that false voice, that voice that the devil planted in your life to stop you from building, when you just deny them access to your ears, you're like, no, I'm engaged in a great work. I can't even come right now. I'm too busy. I'm too busy building a wall around my family. I don't have to, time to talk to you and tear it down. No, no, no. I don't have time. Four times they sent the same message, and each time I gave them the same reply. The fifth time, Sanballat's servant came with an open Facebook post. And I didn't appreciate the way that my pastor, who will re remain unnamed, but whose name rhymes with, sorry. <laughs> Come on, y'all. And this is what it said. There is a rumor among the surrounding nations, and Geshem tells me it's true. Now, Nehemiah won't fall for this crap that you used to fall for, right? And Geshem says it's true. You know, as soon as I hear, like, and I'm not the only one who thinks that. You know what my first thought is? You are the only one who thinks that. Because you just briefly mentioned it to somebody, but you didn't explain it. And they think you're crazy, but they're Canadians and don't have the guts to tell you. And do you know, if, if I ever hear this, like, and everybody thinks this, on the end of a rumor, do you know how many people that is? Two people. You and your husband, because he doesn't want to sleep on the couch. <laughs> it's the, the power of rumors. Nehemiah will just get to the heart of it and be like, oh my goodness, we don't even have time for this, guys. 
he says that you and the Jews are planning to rebel, and that is why you are building the wall. According to his reports, you plan to be their king. See, they think that Nehemiah has false motives because he's helping people build out of his own pocket. And they secretly, they're like, well, you want to be their king. But Nehemiah already had a king. In fact, he went back to serve his king and, and serve in his house again after this. And, but they just put on, on the real Nehemiah what's in their hearts. Careful, careful, careful. They wanted to be king of the Jewish people. He says, he also reports you have appointed prophets in Jerusalem. He's mixing it up in religion, they're saying, um, to proclaim about you. Look, there is a king in Judah. What? This, you can be very sure that this report will get back to the king 800 miles away. So I suggest that you come and talk it over with me. So I suggest, Nehemiah, that you come and defend yourself to me. Because I have the right to judge what God wants for your life. I have the right to judge for these people what, what God wants for them. I replied, I love this, Nehemiah. There is no truth in any part of your story. You're making up the whole thing. Mic drop. Let them do, have that conversation because there's something strong in their spirit and they're just like, no, whole conversation, waste of time. Done. We're going to build the wall. We're going to keep building the wall. They were just trying to intimidate us, imagining, I love this, imagining, Nehemiah writes, that they could discourage us and stop the work. And then he does what Nehemiah is. He goes, I continued the work with even greater determination. Like I get fired up in the war. Like, yeah, we're going to, now we got it. So on October 2nd, the wall was finished just 52 days after we had begun. 52 days. I think in 52 days, God can change your life and change your habits. In 52 days, that's all it would take, God. Less than two months. When our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. But you and I have to, today, we have to stop giving allegiance to false Nehemiahs and we have to give them to Christ and his messengers in your life. God has a small group for you that he wants you to live and breathe and move in, who will help you, who will correct you, who will celebrate with you. And God is giving you Nehemiahs today in the house of God so that he can interpret himself to you and get you on the track executing what God wants you to do. But you'll have to give up the, the obligation, the sense of obligation you have to the wrong people. One time, my, my wife, her best friend, she ha had a best friend at the time who was not a great best friend. In fact, her, her best friend, this is just before we were getting married, and she didn't like me all that much. And I don't know why that would be. I'm so nice. I think that she had wanted a certain position of power in, in Aaron's life, and, and um, she was realizing she would probably lose that if Aaron got married. And, um, and so she started going around and gossiping to all of Aaron's friends. And we're sitting there at the kitchen table with my not wife yet, and, and my mom, we're sitting at the kitchen table, and she's, we know that this girl's going around and gossiping and trying to get us obligated to do whatever it was that she wanted us to do in our marriage, but we had gone to our church and our elders, everybody was in agreement, our families were supportive of this, but this is always a single lady. Uh, come on, you don't have kids, but you know how to raise kids in a grocery store. Shut up, you don't have kids, you don't even know. Try raising kids who are throwing a fit in a grocery store when you haven't slept in 30 days. And we'll talk. And so she was doing this thing, and she was a Christian, which made it really weird. But she had subscribed to a man-made religion, and things were getting really weird. And we're sitting here, and we're talking this through like you do, you know, like because you think that that'll help. And we're talking it through. And then my dad shows up, my dad who was our Nehemiah at the time. And he shows up, and, and he, could, he could tell something wasn't quite right, even though he's not the emotion, uh, emotional heart guy. But he's like, what's wrong? And I gave him the 30-second Coke version. Like, well, this is what's happening. She has this other revelation from God for us, and she's talking to all of Aaron's friends in Calgary. 
And my dad, he's like, he starts weeping. You know what he does? This is what he does. We're here. My dad just goes, <laughs> he snorts and says three words that changed the course of our marriage forever. That's about right. Turns around and walks away. We're sitting here looking at each other like, I feel like you should be more emotionally connected. You know, we're freaking out. And he's, he's not freaked out. Why? Because God, he already knew what was going on. He's like, false Nehemiah. That's about right. And I feel like even for my dad that he felt like those would be three words that he wasted because dad didn't talk a lot. He could have just snorted and walked away and that would, we would have gotten the same message. We're looking at each other and my mom's giving me a look that's like, he not coming back. You know what it did? It settled us down in our souls because there was a storm raging around us. But all of a sudden we saw Jesus in the storm and we stopped looking at the waves because the, the false Nehemiahs always want to make you look at the waves so that they create dependence on you. But the real Nehemiahs want you to look at Jesus because the waves don't even matter. And the struggle that you're facing in your life right now, the struggle is not the problem. The problem is that your eyes are not on Jesus. And when God sends you Nehemiahs, Nehemiahs will remind us of our obligations to worship, of our obligations to come, of our obligations to repent, of our obligations to quit trading and treating uh, our minds and our hearts as if they're God. They are not, but God's mind and his heart are sure. And there are foundations to build a life on. Heavenly Father, I pray for every person here that we would trade in our false Nehemiahs, Lord, that we would pick up the the cross of Jesus Christ, that we would uh, uh, have peace in the storm because our eyes are fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith.